0: Hey, I'm glad you're here. In today's episode, Jai shares his perspective about being a black man in America and how sometimes that feels like being a second-class citizen. We also talked about the extremes of belief and how in times of stress, people retreat to their corner, so to speak, or retreat to their side and go more toward the extremes of belief. So I just want to encourage you in this time of unrest to continue to question and to look and not be shamed into a certain point of view or not retreat to your group for safety, but be willing to stay in the middle and ask questions and wonder and discern. I hope you enjoyed the episode. hello and welcome to the deepening place hello jai
1: hey angela how you doing
0: i'm doing good what's good up with hear.
1: you i'm doing pretty good i'm doing pretty good hanging out relaxing as much as i can that's it you know just about the same way everybody else is doing i feel
0: do you find that i know a lot of people are struggling with just feeling very low, low energy because of everything that's going on in the world right now. Do you do you struggle with that at all or are you pretty much even kill?
1: No, I definitely struggle with low energy. So I say I'm relaxing and hanging out because I need to. Um, yeah. I find it very hard to get you normally I mean they're really good at getting something started or and or finishing. Right now both are very challenging. are very, very worn out. Yeah, that's really how I feel.
0: I feel the same way. I, I find that it's really hard to stay disciplined and, and you stay on a routine or a schedule. I just want to curl up in a ball sometimes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep, <laughs> might be my Saturday.
0: Which I think is really good, but it starts to interfere with a healthy level of functioning after a while, and I don't want to get too far over on that side of it.
1: I'm with you, so definitely in that battle.
0: I don't know if it'd be helpful for anybody, but this insight has seemed to be a little bit helpful for my clients because we're sort of conditioned to beat ourselves up if we don't maintain that standard of excellence. And, you know, if you want to win, you got to get out there and kill it. But what I think is happening is we have all our own stuff, our own issues that we've always been dealing with. But on top of that, we have all this collective stuff. It was the global pandemic. And then on top of that, we have all this civil unrest and protesting. And the effect I think it has is that our inner children are like in that fight, flight or freeze mode. They don't know what's going on. And there really is no relief from that. You can't turn on a news program and somebody saying, hey, you know what, this is really hard. But in November, we're going to get back to normal and it's going to be fine. Nobody can tell you how any of this is going to end. And for that reason, I think we need to show ourselves a lot of compassion because we are in that panic mode interiorly somewhere in our subconscious, if if not our conscious, that's a mm-hmm. huge energy drain.
1: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think it does tie to today's episode too, or kind of the topic. I uh, um, told you I would like to speak about the second class citizen thing.
0: Yeah. I think that's a, a great segue, when you said that you you wanted to, because we ended the kind of end of the last episode with that we mentioned, or you mentioned feeling like a second class citizen. So what about that, or have you thought anything about it since?
1: Yeah, really, what you just said brought it up. Being a second class citizen is kind of like going through a pandemic all the time. Mm -hmm. So much of life has so much uncertainty. And we talk about generational trauma, but which is real, but it doesn't account for like the lifelong, like living in that right, just being a child of a generation that's struggling, dealing with second-class citizenship, and just how you go through life. To be more specific, kind of if if black has been a problem for you in your life, then you can resonate with like where does the where's the peace gonna come from? Where is where's it when's it gonna change? Where's where's all that gonna change? And then the level of Sort of weird comfort you have to have, and I think it um it almost internalizes into this permanent you know head state of of second class citizen in so many different ways. Maybe even second class sort of person. I Mm -hmm. want to make it more individual, but it definitely resonates with that what you're telling your your clients to help them with. That's what that's what it feels like being one here. That's what the that's what the experience is um, here in America, and I'm sure anyone. uh, And that's what really set with me, and for people that are. If you're know, really struggling to understand it, just think about that example right there, really struggling, like, well, what is the Black experience sort of felt like? Not for every Black person, but the Black experience. It's felt like an ongoing pandemic for, I don't know, for forever, depending on who you ask.
0: You're the one here, so let's ask you, if you don't mind. Sure. Like, If anybody's been listening to the podcast, we touched on your story in the episodes Baby Yoda toward the end and then mm-hmm. in everything we need and then also weird wasteland. And so I feel like I kind of have the overview at least of maybe what you're talking about, but can you tell me a little bit just to you personally, not so much overarching, but personally for Jai, how do you experience that? What has that been like for you?
1: Um, second class is and it's shown up so many different times. High school had to be number one. That had to be the, most, the first time it was really prominent and prevalent, you know, going to a, a mostly white high school. But it wasn't just that it was white. It was also based on affluence and money and feeling second class in that space. Sometimes because sometimes because I'm black and there were like some pretty outwardly racist people there, but also sometimes because um, I didn't have money and going to that school and being black and not having money were pretty closely associated. That felt like second class citizenship in college, dating having my own personal story of it sort of being a new world to me, but also going to a very predominantly white college at LSU. Dating, Mm. the dating scene there feels like that. Being around anyone that isn't black, which is normally just white at that university. It's uh, kind of like a caricature sort of situation. I had so many friends that would tell me, hey, you're the first black person I've ever really been friends with. And it's almost like this uh, display show that you're on. That's what it felt like that I felt I was on it was almost like almost like a display show. It's like I don't. I'm just a person too, man. I, I grew up in this country, but I, I guess there's something different about me in y'all's perspective. And that's how I internalized those things at the time. It was sort yeah. of like always oh, having to fit into some other, fit into some other pre-established world.
0: In those two examples that you gave, they're a little bit, a little bit different. In the first, to high school, it almost seems like. The attitude was, and I'm taking this not just from what you just said, but what we talked about earlier in those episodes. It was almost like a ministry to have these black children from a disadvantaged area. Did you feel that way at all?
1: There was an an actual direct program there for that at that high school. They got kids mostly from one school called Bishop Perry, which was an all black low-income sort of private school, and they particularly funneled children from that school. So yes, that was—and I did those tours. They would pull me out of religion class.
0: Yeah, so you were like the the representative.
1: Yeah, senior Not- year, I remember missing most, most of class, like most of religion class, to go do those tours, do school day visits for poor Black kids coming to the school.
0: And also from before, I think that, A, they didn't make an effort to see you as a young man first they didn't make an effort to like really understand your experience and work with you from that point you were just you know aren't you lucky to be here and not really take into consideration your unique perspective or lived experience
1: as an institution though i would say it was more institutional than personal really there were a few teachers who just totally didn't get it i know i've spoken about that before one teacher who really did get it overall it was The second class really came from just the entire structure of a school like that, right? It just doesn't, it does not mesh with the lifestyle that you go home to. And that's something else that seemed to be very particular to Black, whether forgetting about the perspective of money or how much money you have. That was something that was, you know, reflective of Black.
0: Even that having money is something that people take for granted. Like if I have 5 or $10 in my purse to, if somebody says, hey, let's go get ice cream, no problem. But for people in poverty, they don't have, any extra money or means to get around. It's hard to kind of keep up and be a part of the group if you don't have that, even if you're allowed, if you don't have the resources.
1: Exactly. So there's a whole cultural or like social aspect that gets kind of baked into it. And truthfully, those were kind of the minor points of that experience. The second class really did come from. Well, no, see, that is institutional as well. We had a very, very nice food setup at that high school. There's a lot of food to buy all the time, like all the time. And it's kind of a thing at that school, you know, what kind of food you're getting, how many snacks you're getting. It's not uncommon to want to spend seven, eight bucks a day on food for for kids there. That's not uncommon. It's like that was barely my college and first year teaching budget for food, you know. So back then it was definitely a stretch.
0: Did you just not go without or do without?
1: Sometimes just do without. Pretty much always had lunch money and it would allow you to overdraw your account to a negative point. So. Sometimes my, my balance would just be negative for a while. So my parents could settle it or later on in high school and I could either flip CDs or Yu-Gi-Oh cards or write people's papers, whatever I could do for money until then I would just, um,
0: yeah. Pay off your balance.
1: Pay off my balance.
0: Pay off yeah. the balance. Yeah. I know this might seem like a minor point. You, maybe why are we focusing on this? But I think a lot of what we're calling racism is... It's more of a blindness. It's like you're not considering someone else's perspective. And I think we all kind of get wrapped up in that. Like, hey, you know, we're not racist. We have black people in our school. But in order for us to come to a place of unity, it really is understanding each other and the differences and allowing ourselves to see where someone else has had a little bit harder time or a much harder time with things and so in a in a little micro way this is an example of that
1: yeah it is it's exactly an example of that the racism here is really putting everyone into the same into the same competition pool more or less when it's just not appropriate it's just not it's not good for anyone it's not good for the people hosting the comp. it's not good for that high school it's not good for the people going through that through that Mm -hmm. system and that's really the point yeah that's really the point it's not good for anyone
0: it's really complicated too. And we've said this the whole time. These issues are super complicated. You know, I grew up in the South. I grew up in Georgia and I had a very distinct idea about what racism was. And to me, it was more of an intentional thing I knew or knew of racist people. And in this case, is that racism or is it ignorance or is it both or is it different for the kids in the school? Was it ignorance? And maybe for some of the administration who should have known better, maybe that leaned more into racism. Is there any distinction for you in that?
1: There is. There is. It's a It's a bit of both or all. It's definitely ignorance, right? So I see when the person isn't necessarily like having racist practices or even tendencies, but works in an institution that clearly doesn't take it, race into any sort of context it needs to, like an educational institution. I think a lot of this country, a lot of people, I think just people, don't understand how institutions and systems can marginalize people without ever having seen them. You know, people, I think the ignorance there is that data is blind when it's not. It's, it's just how a, a picture is painted of people, and it's really up to the person viewing that picture. So I think it's just ignorance from the, from the person's standpoint. And some of it, like you're saying, some of it is willful. Um, how do I see racism? Sometimes, you know, I've seen racist people in the world. And that means someone's going to call me the N-word or give me the silent treatment or give me a stinky, you know, do something that overtly shows I don't like you. There are those overt people, but they are not ever on the top of my list for like a threat. I'm almost happy when someone says or it comes out that they're in the KKK. That's great. We know who they are. They're, they're being open faced about it. And it's different from what is the scariest races, which are people who they smile on your face the whole time they want to take your place. I forget who the song is. The new people know it as Drake's song. But those are the scary ones, the ones who are um, cool to your face, but are aware of sort of the institutions and systems that are in place, you know, and keep schools and keep businesses and keep government entities from shifting institutional policy which comes back yeah. to me towards the Democratic Party. That's a, a great example of smiling your face and the whole time want to take your place. Just fake. That's the scary racism.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, let me ask you this. This is one of the problems I've had with everything we're experiencing right now. I think there are good people everywhere who want to do good. Let's make them useful instead of guilty. The current movement, the current trend right now is to make everybody guilty if someone is truly just ignorant and you enlighten them in some way, whether that's saying, hey, you don't understand my experience, you know, read this book or look at this article or let me share with you something that happened to me and their eyes are kind of open and they go, oh my goodness, what what can I do or how can I help or what, what can I do to change it? To me, that's not, that is ignorance. If you go past that, if you bypass that and continue on your way and discount it, then it becomes willful ignorance, which is, is a form of racism.
1: Mm-hmm. I think willful ignorance is definitely a form of racism.
0: The people who, it's inconvenient to see the truth.
1: It's inconvenient. It's painful. So like I have I have been in more than one relationship now where the parents of the person I'm dating, I know that they come from classically open N-word using families, just white families. And a point of contention is always that The story has always sounded like my parents have seen these things and they see us dating or whatever has happened. They just shut it all off. They never want to talk about it. They just take a blind eye to it. And that's when I always have, that's when I do put up a shield like, oh, that's, that's woeful ignorance. You really don't want to know more, you know? And it sounds and it looks like, you know, someone starts telling their story, they see the black or some marginalized story. And that person is like, oh, I hear you, but this or but that. Or but this, you know, openly saying, I don't have any experience from that community or from that walk of life, but then actively not wanting to listen to anyone's story from that. And that's willful ignorance. In that context, yeah, man, that's just, that's being racist. Shut up and listen.
0: A real person who can share with you a perspective that you don't really get and you're not open to hearing it. Yes. Remember the episode we did, The Extremes of Belief, and we talked about how Instead of coming to the table to talk things out, people go to the extremes and they cling to their belief systems. In this example, here is my daughter who's dating this man. And because of my background, I need to believe that we've all kind of had an equal shot and black people are where they are because of their choices.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that sounds like something I almost heard verbatim once. Yeah. Black, it's all choices for black. Yes, that's a great way to put it. That's what it's normally said. It's all it's all choices. Um, I had a friend recently post on Facebook. Man, really cool dude. But he posted some really ignorant crap on Facebook. Like, the playing field's even. Race doesn't matter. And he got a lot of fly for it, I guess. I don't know. I don't read the comments too much. It's like, man, he's being woefully ignorant. I used to march next to this guy in drumline in college. For, like, years, we stood right next to each other. He's a... Very loving, large teddy bear type attitude sort of guy who's like a youth church leader or something. Yeah. And even then, even then, even he's still posting like a, I don't want to hear it. Here's the truth. Yeah. Even though I have no experience, Uh, here's just the truth and everyone needs to take it for what it is. Disappointing. It's disappointing to see people still kind of choosing willful ignorance. But yeah, if you're asking, it's still super prevalent. And there's a whole younger generation picking up on it too.
0: I think people are so afraid right now that they are clinging even more tightly that that seems convenient for him to believe because then he but he he knew you at one time he knows you you know like we forget that we are in relationship with people we turn to our group and cling to to our beliefs because it feels like a safer place
1: Mm, yeah yeah
0: i've had one in particular relationship has gone south because of all of our current issues in society i want to ask her like do you don't you remember conversations that we had all the things that we had in common and now if she's completely gone to her group and it's a betrayal to that to to see me anymore as a friend or a sister because i'm different yeah. it's just a, a crazy time
1: it's just, it's a very revealing time it seems like another layer of the veil or curtain has been pulled back. If the whole thing is just not off the hinges at this point, um, that's really how it feels. There's no yeah. time for hiding anymore. People are clearly wanting to do better or clearly wanting to sort of stay s- stay in their pocket. Yeah, stay in their pocket of comfort, like you were saying, or just trust in their pocket, which I understand that as well. Like you said, sometimes times are uncertain. That experience as a second-class citizen or in, in terms of terms of what it feels like to be marginalized and trying to be put there it's just it's a place of fear is what it comes down to and and i get it people i I get it you you kind of curl up into your ball and whatever the case that's why i think race has a special caveat in this country and i'm really still still learning like how special that caveat is race is a caveat in that like as this guy he's a white guy he's his family is fine very well fine off um i would say that what's what would help is if he didn't take the luxury of kind of going back to his going back to his corner and doing that that's not necessary for for that man right now, you know he doesn't need that yeah. safe zone to go back and and not worry. Maybe he does, but I don't it's, know from what angle
0: it's just kind of an intellectual laziness hmm. and you know we've said before uh belief is budget truth,
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: I will have to say, though, that I think, because, you know, I am white, I do think that people are nervous because of, it seems like there's, hmm, how do I say this? You know how you told me last time we recorded that you didn't really get what Black Lives Matter was after. You didn't really understand here you are as a black man with very real experiences in America with racism, with success, with moving in mainstream circles. And even you are saying, I'm not really sure what they're after. I don't know if I can, you know, go along with that. As a white person, I think the feeling is I'm either in or out. And so that is crazy to me. So I'm going to go back over here. That is what is really concerning me right now because if you don't allow someone to process and talk and if we don't allow multiple perspectives and different ideas about how to make it better, so many of these, especially young white people that were open are being pushed into the shadow where they are experiencing really true darkness and racists and being influenced in that way. That really concerns me. I don't know if you know what I mean by that.
1: I definitely got the, the the message you were getting out there. And thank you for sharing it. Yeah, it's exactly what I was wondering about. Like, where does that need for safety and sort of like reassurance come from? And that's that's a great example. I do have this story. And I'm still... So since we've recorded that, Angela, I've gone up and I've, I have work in a nonprofit space. So I do a lot of like deep behind the scenes research about what nonprofits are up to. So I've done my research on BLM. Like, where is the money going to? I found it. You go to their website. It's some weird. It's not uncommon, but it goes to the you donate to BLM, and it goes to some other charity organization that then divvies up the money into some other stuff. Long story to say, I looked through their tax records. I looked through their service records that they have to report on their 990s. I still cannot figure out what they're actually doing with the money besides advertising Black Lives Matter, which should be for free on social media. So I think I discovered another, like hold up on the Black Lives Matter thing specifically. I definitely support the phrase Black Lives Matter. Most people should support the phrase, all people should support the phrase Black Lives Matter. I think the confusion is coming from the social sort of movement. And then let's literally give actual money to an organization called Black Lives Matter, which isn't even the actual organization. Go look it up. It's not even, it's just a name that they go by so you can get more money. Yeah, even to, so just to your point, even doing my research and going behind the scenes, I still can't figure out why I would give to it, even if I knew what they were doing. That's good for me to hear. Thank you for saying that. It does make a lot of sense. Like I said, I'm yeah. just always curious about where does that angst, where does that what is that uneasiness, where does that hesitation come from? I'm genuinely curious from the white perspective. Like, Where is it coming from? And that's a, that's a great example. Right,
0: right now, if you don't up the black square. You are the problem. You are a racist. And there are so many different perspectives and different ideas and people doing life together. I'm in Georgia right now and have been for a little while. I've lived in the South most of my life and in Texas the last 13 or 14 years. I don't really consider Texas exactly the South. It's totally mm-hmm. different country in a way, you know, but people in the South are doing race relations. They are. We live together. We work together we eat together. And I think a lot of times people in these movements, they don't have a lot of personal experience. They don't have as many personal relationships. And I'm not saying it's apple pie and ice cream in the South, but it's come so far, you know, we've made so much progress. And then all of a sudden, people are being divided. We're going in the opposite direction right now, because we're not sure how to be around each other. All of a sudden, we're noticing before what we weren't noticing does that make sense it like really i'm aware does. i'm it aware really of my whiteness and i'm aware of your blackness now more because oh my god are you are you going to judge me because i'm not saying the right thing you know and we had we were getting to a point where we were seeing each other's people and then not to say it was perfect not to say that we had gotten there we had not gotten there but I hear a lot of talk about ancestors and a lot of what our ancestors were fighting for were to be seen as a man. A lot of the black men that were fighting wanted to be seen as a man and to get out of my way. Give me the rights that you tell me that I have in the Constitution Mm. and let me do my thing. Get move. That's what I think we were fighting for. Not to see each other as different, to see each other as people.
1: To eliminate this second-class citizenship. Yeah. To eliminate black as being the like the other category, and may as well say other. Still, still, still happening today. I don't know what's next for that in terms of us as a population educating ourselves. I guess it's um. It's probably another good spot to pick up on because there's a couple of there's a couple a couple other sides to it in terms of going forward from. The literal creation of second class citizenship and then what has psychologically happened to my people that have been through that have been through that. There's a lot of actual real individual work that has to go into, which is kind of why I want to bring this up now, because that is that is what I want to talk about going forward. What we have to do in the black community and what I'm talking to my family about and how I'm treating myself right now and how I'm working with the people I work with and what we have to do as a people to to go forward as well. Yeah. It's definitely hard finding what that looks like at this point.
0: Are you saying that people within their own communities doing their work and also collectively we have to learn how to work together in some way?
1: If we're going to stay in America, that's us black people as a people that didn't come here voluntarily. If we're going to stay here, we have to like learn to be here. There's step one. Like, let's We got to get some education that as a community that wasn't given to us. Or we couldn't build up ourselves, right? Step one. Step two, we've internalized a whole lot of trauma for a long time. And we are a community that has been hesitant about accepting that, which, going back to the fear thing, I totally get it. Like, literally, personally, I definitely get it, accepting how real and how hard it is to do. But I'm in a phase where we have to do that if we're going to go forward, because trying to go back to step one and try to be in a country and a community, that's not going to be possible. Like you've been saying, it's not going to be possible to keep interacting with folks that are trying to understand and learn. So that stuff's triggering. And so it's just a hard conversation. It's hard work. But going forward from the second class citizen thing is destroying that mindset, some of that internalized mindset from from being in that position, you know, realistically so long. It's
0: Just to make sure I understand what you're saying, it's twofold for you. People need to stop treating people who are different as second class citizens. But on another level, We have to help our children or Black people help their children understand you are not a second class citizen both ways.
1: 100%. I say that having just went to a uh, there's a group and it's for Black teachers. And we're just talking about the travesty of letting so many Black kids pass high school without knowing the information just so we can keep graduation rates up. That's what we have to stop. That does not play out well.
0: It's also a form of, of evil. Because in Texas, you know, we both are, we are both Texans currently, the top eight to 10% of every high school in Texas get automatic admission into the University of Texas. They did that so that people from all over the state come in. What I find to be particularly heartbreaking is you have some of these kids from these awful schools that, yeah, we were top eight to 10%, whatever it is for that year. And they get there and they fail. And nobody tells them it's because you came from a horrible school and these other people didn't. They just are allowed to internalize that and believe that there's something wrong with them and their ability. That's, that's what I, what I think it, we need to address some of the, some of the inequities along the way so that everybody is given equal opportunity to succeed.
1: Here, here, I'm with you there. Yes. No comment. That's, that's exactly it. Yep.
0: I mean, I think this, It just shows how many different ways we could go about it. But before we get off the call, I did want to say I just released the first episode in the Perspectives on Race. I'm really excited about that, just bringing people in to give their perspective, their lived story, what they think will help, ideas for moving forward. And those episodes are going to be less discussion. I'm treating people more like a guest where I'm just listening and hearing. I think it's so valuable right now. I had one little quote from Toni Morrison. Mm -hmm. She said, like failure, chaos contains information that can lead to knowledge, even wisdom. There is no time for despair, no place for self-pity, no need for silence, no room for fear. We speak, we write, we do language. That is how civilizations heal. I believe that a podcast is a form, a modern day form of doing language, us being able to speak and then send that out. It might help people to understand. So I really appreciate you doing that.
1: You're welcome. I genuinely appreciate you holding the space. It is important to vocalize. That's a great quote.
0: Mm. Well, I hope you have a wonderful week.
1: You too. I will do my best.
0: Okay. Talk to you later.